Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. Hey, listen, those of you who are watching frequently, regularly, be sure to share this and get the word out. I'm not sure whether Facebook is shadow banning me or limiting my reach. Uh, I suspect that they are. Uh, but we also have Bishop E.W. Jackson.tv. Um, we're soon about to go on. We're on um, Christian Television Network every Sunday night at 8 p.m. You can live stream that if you're not in their area. Um, it's live. St- it's it airs in in the uh, South Central Florida area, I believe, uh, on DirecTV and Dish TV. But you can get it on their network. Uh, and in order to find that, just go to bishopewjackson.tv and you'll find out where you can get it there. Um, and we're about to go on a couple of other networks. That's being worked out. It'll probably be October, and I'll be on three networks around the country and looking for more. So thank you all for your prayers. Thank you for your support. And look, I, I go so many places and have you all say to me, the whole country needs to hear this. The whole country needs to hear what you have to say. Help me to do that because I'm committed to getting the word out. So help me to do that. You know, your contributions, you can go to our website at standamerica.us. You can go to bishopewjackson.tv and make a contribution to helping me get the word out. And as these programs start, we're hoping that the support will build because the point of these is not to make money. The point of these is to continue expanding my reach, to continue reaching more and more and more people. That's the goal. That's the objective, okay? This is not a for-profit enterprise. This is an enterprise to get the word out to the American people. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, BishopEWJackson.tv, just in case Facebook gets squirrely on me. That's where you can get all of my programming. That's where we live stream everything. Uh, I'm thinking of adding a couple of other venues, by the way, uh, so that there are multiple ways for people to watch. Uh, I'm on Roku under um, under the Awakening Network. Uh, I'm on uh, Firestick, same thing, the Awakening Network. You should be able to, to even put my name in E.W. Jackson and come up with the program. And don't forget, folks, we, we have got a just a really gorgeous, tremendous, well-done app. Uh, you can get the app at the Google Play Store. Uh, just put in E.W. Jackson, and the same thing under the Apple Play Store, put in E.W. Jackson. My app will come up, and the app will do the same thing as bishopewjackson.tv. Basically, you can get all of my programming, everything I'm putting out, you can get it on the app, okay? Um, I do want to take a moment also to mention that on October 8th, 9th, and 10th, there is a tent revival. I am speaking on one of these nights. I'll see if I can get that straight. This is a tent revival that's going to happen in Suffolk, Virginia. For those of you in the area, uh, I will be one of the speakers there. Uh, Let me get you the exact night that I'm speaking because I don't have that directly in front of me. But I will be there on October 8th, 9th, and 10th. I will be in Dallas, Texas, Granbury, Texas, on Sunday for Sunday morning service and Sunday afternoon service. Here again, you should be able to get this stuff on standamerica.us and should be able to get it on our app and get the information also on on bishopewjackson.tv. But I'll be in Dallas, Texas for, I'll be speaking four times down there on October 4th and 5th. 
Uh, I'll be speaking in Granbury on Sunday morning, luncheon on Sunday afternoon, and I'm speaking at First Baptist Church in Dallas on Sunday night, and I'll be speaking uh, at a, a, a sort of a, a more private event, but people are invited to come if they want to come. It's being sponsored by one of my supporters on Monday night and, uh, and heading back Tuesday morning. That's October 4th and 5th. This is October 8th, 9th, and 10th. Uh, so I've got a lot going on, and, and I'm not going to try to go through my whole schedule with you and waste time with that. Just go to, to, to those websites, and you should be able to get everything you're looking for. And by the way, if you can't, just get in touch with us. Email me at media at ewjackson.com and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for uh, the a speaking engagement or details as to when he's going to be there. And, and my staff will be happy to get you the information that you need and to make sure that whatever is on the website is clear enough that you don't have to contact us. You can just go to the website, get it, boom. You, you, know, you know all the details that you need in order to move forward. Look, I woke up about 5 o'clock this morning thinking about this whole issue of, of race. And I think what, what prompted is yesterday on my radio program, if, if any of you were listening to my radio program, I had a guy call up toward the end of the program, and he basically sort of tried to goad me by saying, oh, I like this ROS, racial obsession syndrome, ha, 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 But he was actually a little bit hostile because then he went on to say, you know, just because you say, I, I basically shared this testimony that, and my wife and I shared together. I said, A, well, this is for me personally, as a, an American, of African ancestry, a black man, I have never had a negative interaction with police officers. Never. I tell you what, I've had some very, very positive ones. I really have some very positive interactions. Some, I'm too embarrassed to tell you, <laughs> because in some cases, I, I have made a mistake, and a police officer could have come, I mean, he could have lowered the boom on me. Um, so, I've, I've gotten some tremendous breaks from some police officers. Now, this goes all the way back to my, I mean, this, I'm talking about many, many years ago. There's an incident I'm thinking of many, many years ago, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because it was, believe me, it was a blunder on my part. I didn't commit a crime or anything like that. I just did something stupid and hadn't really thought through what I was doing, and a cop appeared right on the scene, and but... He was gracious and understood, and boom, I just walked away when it could have been something much, much more serious. It really could have been. Here again, I wasn't, I wasn't committing any crime, anything like that. It was a mistake on my part, but still, it was a serious mistake, okay? Um, the kind of mistake that could have caused injury to me or to others. It didn't, but it could have. And the cop was just as gracious, just as nice, and understood. Look, the kind of thing can happen to anybody. Be careful, okay? I said, by the way, never made that mistake again. And forgive me that I can't go into details because I just don't want to do that. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> it wouldn't be edifying, okay? And here again, I wasn't involved in some kind of sin or wasn't doing something like that. It was not, nothing like that. Um, it, it, it's more along the lines of, of some negligence, okay? that was potentially harmful to people. So I'll leave it at that. Um, this just me not, not thinking, just not, you know, not paying attention. And so at any rate, I can think of a lot of incidents, not like that one, of course, that's unique. 
but where police could have written me a ticket, they didn't. Um, I just, I've just never had a negative interaction with a police officer. That's number one. Then I talked to my wife about this. I said, to my wife, I said, have you ever felt like you were held back, stopped, prevented, discriminated against, had a door slammed in your face, that something was done to you to stop you from doing something, getting something, achieving something that you wanted to achieve or that you thought you, you should have the opportunity to achieve and have the opportunity to achieve and you were not given that opportunity or denied it because of the color of your skin? And my wife said, no, no. She and I share the same testimony. Now, I've never, I don't think I've ever asked my children this question. I have a feeling I know probably what the answer would be. The answer would probably be for, the same for them. I can't say that because I haven't really asked them that question. But, but I know people around me who happen to be black who have a similar kind of testimony. So this caller called me and said, well, just because that's true for you doesn't make it true for everybody, in effect. I said, well, I've never said that. I've never said that there had, there could, nobody's ever had a negative interaction with a police officer or that a police officer has never acted outside the bounds of protocol, regulations, or even the law. I would be stupid. I've never said that. I wouldn't, wouldn't assume that just because I've never had a negative interaction that nobody else has either. I mean, we know better than that, right? I mean, I know people who are... are um, Americans of European background who said they've had bad interactions with cops. I mean, I know of incidents um, that took place not too long ago, and I won't get into details because it's not appropriate to reveal who was involved. You wouldn't know him anyway. But where this guy who happened to be an American of European ancestry, happened to be an American of more ivory complexion, got into a very negative interaction with a police officer. It was his fault, by the way. And um, he didn't get manhandled, but I'll tell you what he did end up doing. He ended up spending a little time in jail. So this caller didn't like the fact that I could not say, as a black man, I'm oppressed and I've been victimized and I've been mistreated and I've been denied and I'm a victim. He didn't like that. I mean, it was quite obvious. He did such. And I said to him this, the issue is not me extrapolating and saying, because this is my experience, this is therefore everybody's experience. I said, the issue is that people who want to claim that universal, that mistreatment of people because of the color of their skin is universal, say to me that somehow there's something wrong with me even sharing my own experience because that's not the experience of most people. In other words, what they want to do is shut me down and make me go along with the experiences of everybody else and say, oh yeah, me too, me too, yes, me too. And I can't, I would be lying. I'm just not going to do that. I'm not trying to impose my experience on everybody else, but every, but, but, but the, the, the political elites in the left, the leftist cabal, black, white, whatever, want to impose upon me 
silence and assent to their definition and their view of what the experience of a black man is in America. So that got me thinking, and I guess I must have sort of pondered that. I was pondering it as I went to sleep, and I was thinking about it as I woke up. And how I view this, so I want to share something with you that I don't think I've shared with you before, or if I have, um, I may have mentioned it in passing. But but I really believe that this this is is a powerful and important approach to the issue of race that our entire country needs to adopt, that Christians should adopt because it's a biblical approach. Now, now here's, here's the analogy. Let's say that a person has cancer and that cancer has metastasized and it's, you know, spreading throughout the body. But in a particular spot, a tumor erupts above the skin, of course. I mean, it, it erupts so that that can be seen, felt, and so forth, you know. The cancer is there. It's hidden. It may be causing problems, obviously, depending on what stage it's in. But nobody from the outside can really see it. They might see that the person's not feeling well, that kind of thing. But they can't really see the cancer. But suddenly, a tumor erupts. And maybe the person doesn't even know they have it. So you go to the doctor, they say, look, doc, look, I got this, I got this tumor. I got this, you know, I got this thing growing. And the doctor says, oh, you've got a tumor. So, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to cut that thing off. And you will be fine. Well, you know, you won't be fine. Because the tumor is not the problem. The tumor is only a symptom of the problem. The problem is the underlying cancer that produces the tumor. And if you don't deal with the underlying cancer through, uh, um, through uh, some sort of, of uh, what do they call it, radiological treatments or uh, chemotherapy or something that is going to get to the root cause All you're going to do is cut out a symptom, but you haven't addressed the underlying disease. Now, that's how I view racism. Racism is not the problem. Racism is a symptom of a deeper problem. And the deeper problem is the problem of human sin, the fallenness of mankind. That problem, we just, this young girl whose body was just found um, after having been left by her boyfriend out in the wilderness somewhere, her body was just found. And of course, everybody's referring to this now as an issue of domestic violence, right? And so we're going to address domestic violence. But domestic violence is not really the problem. Domestic violence is a symptom of the problem. The underlying problem is the cancer of sin. And you can create all the programs you want to deal with domestic violence, but until you deal with the underlying problem of sin, all you're going to do is cut out a tumor and leave that which produces the tumor intact. So guess what you're going to get? Another tumor. 
And then you say, oh, that's the problem. Let's cut that out. And guess what you're going to get? Another tumor. See, people want to make the issue of race some special, unique, you know, particularly deep-seated issue. Oh, and by the way, only an issue for Americans of ivory complexion. Only an issue for them. It's not an issue for anybody else. It's their issue. It's, it's, a, it's a unique affliction that they have. And what that is doing is you see a tumor and you extrapolate from there all kinds of cockamamie conclusions. Oh, those tumors are white people's tumors, which is a lie, too. I've used it, the, uh, uh, the Hutus and the Tutsis in uh, Rwanda and how hundreds of thousands of people were killed. One tribe, the Tutsis, I believe, killing the Hutus over a period of about six months. I think about 300,000 murdered. They're of the same skin color, of the same country. The difference is they have two different tribes, and one tribe hates the other, and one tribe is trying to annihilate and commit genocide to destroy the other, call them cockroaches. I mentioned I had friends when I, in college from Nigeria. It's interesting how the Lord, I really believe the Lord orchestrated that to teach me something about this issue. At the time, I was not saved, but one was uh, uh, Yoruba, one was Hausa, one was Igbo. And they, they explained to me how in Nigeria, those tribes hated each other and were at odds. And the Biafran War was really a tribal war, a civil war. Same skin color, same country, but they're trying to annihilate one another. So this idea that somehow animosity against a person based upon whatever you want to choose based upon their outward characteristics is somehow unique to people of European ancestry. Oh, and the rest of the world is just utopian and people just, they love and care about each other. I mean, it's just silliness. But because they want to try to make race this sort of unique issue, they're constantly trying to address that issue and they will never be able to address it because it is not an issue of power. It is not an issue of economics. It is an issue of the sinfulness of the human heart. And it will never, ever be resolved by anything that cannot change the human heart or that does not change the human heart. Now, when you cut that tumor out, now listen to this closely because I want to build on this analogy. You cut that tumor out assuming that you've dealt with the problem and guess what you leave? A great big scar that never allows you to forget that tumor. And you keep going back to that tumor say, see that? See that? See that tumor? See that? See that? That scar? See that? See that? That scar was produced. That scar, that scar was produced by white people. That scar was produced by racism. That scar was, and it's not true. The scar was produced by the underlying cancer. 
and your attempt to deal with it as some sort of unique expression of the problem, of a problem that could then be dealt with by cutting that problem out. Doesn't happen. Won't work. Because the cancer is still there and the cancer is sin. Now, this person who called me yesterday also got upset. He, here again, tried to trick me into believing he was basically supporting, but he really wasn't. But also got upset because I've coined this phrase, ROS, racial obsession syndrome. Racial obsession syndrome, which I've dubbed a mental illness where everything is seen as racial. So then yesterday you had this issue of a border agent using the reins of his horse to control his horse and the left jumped on that and likened that to slavery and likened them to slave masters using quote unquote whips to whip the Haitians. That's ROS. It's racial obsession syndrome. And, you know, they got, came on television all somber. Yes, it clearly reminds us of something. Well, slavery. Oh, give me a break. See, that's because they don't realize that the problem that we are dealing with is a problem that is universal and it's in them, which is why they jump to these conclusions because they don't understand that the problem is human sin and if they would stop and come back and look at things through the lens of God's word and truth, then they would realize that they're seeing things. They're delusional. Because they, they are so skewed they, by the scars of the tumors that they just believe every time there's the least little thing, ah, there it is, it's coming back, it's coming, that's the manifestations of it. Slavery uh, ended 150 years ago. These are Haitians trying to enter the country illegally, no matter what you think their plight might be. They're trying to enter the country illegally. These border agents are charged with stopping them, and suddenly it's like slavery because their vision is warped and skewed by failure to understand this just like the person who sees a tumor and says, I'm going to cut that out, cuts out the tumor, slavery's over, but the scars are, are there and there's a constant reminder. Oh, look, 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 that's see, well, it's coming back. Oh, it's coming back over here. It's coming back over there. It's coming back on my leg. It's coming back on my face. Oh, it's coming back. And they don't realize that the underlying problem is not, has nothing to do with race. It has to do with human sin. And it's in them as well, which is why they then get this warped vision of life, which gives them a sense of moral superiority. Because look at these border agents beating these Haitians. I'm not like them. I'm better. I'm better than they are. I would never do anything like that. Well, they weren't beating the Haitians anyway. They were, they were using their reins to control their horses. And they were using the horses to try to be ahead of the, of the people trying to get across into the United States of America. Now, you may not like that image. You may say, well, they shouldn't be on horses. But, I mean, that's just silly nitpicking. 
You know, if they if they brought some kind of vehicle out there, they'd be complaining about the left would be complaining about that because what they really want is open borders for the United States of America. And any any attempt, a wall, uh, 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 border agents, the National Guard, any attempt to stop illegal immigration is always going to be vilified and deter and, and, and ultimately deemed to be racism, particularly on the southern border. We got people from 100 countries trying to get across our into our nation now on the southern border. And I've said before, I don't care where they come from. Now look, when you try to deal with the symptoms as opposed to dealing with an underlying disease, what you tend to do is to create harm and scars that don't go away and that don't solve the problem either. Did you hear that? When you try to deal with what you see uh, uh, the symptom as, an, as if it were the underlying disease, you create scars that don't solve the problem, but that don't go away and become a constant reminder of the problem. Affirmative action. This, guy, this idiot, Ibram Kendi, with the only way to cure discrimination is more discrimination. Yeah, so more discrimination. Segregated classrooms, segregated graduations. See, what you're, what you're doing is you're conjuring up these ways of addressing the symptoms that don't solve the problem and only create more scars and more heartache and more hardship and more division and more pain and more suspicion and more anger and more bitterness. See, because the real antidote is not in any of these mechanisms that people use to solve the problem of racism. Let me give you one more instance. I don't even know when I'm going to get to the book of Philippians today, but uh, we'll see. I had a discussion with someone uh, about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer, about an, an issue that's, that's come up again. I saw an article about it this morning um, about increased the higher level of complications for pregnancy in black women and the higher incidence of uh, um, deaths during delivery and, and in, in carrying the baby and complications for the mother and the child. There's a higher incidence of that in black women and of course, it's attributed solely to racism. Now, mind you, they have no proof that anybody's being racist toward black folks. What they have is the, the, the model that's been given us by the left and by the, sadly, that the civil rights movement evolved to, to adopt this approach, courts adopted this approach. If there is a statistical disparity that is prima facie proof that there's discrimination, but it's not. It's not. It's only prima facie proof of the disparity. It's not prima facie proof of why the disparity exists. So this article is saying that the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights is studying this issue to try to figure out what is the problem. And they're trying to say that medical professionals are racist and they're hostile 
When the person told me that this was caused by racism, I said, well, what are they doing? Trying to kill them? Trying to kill these women? Like, you know, why, why would you say a thing like that? Well, I mean, if you're saying that racism is causing all of these problems in maternity, you're saying that they're treating people differently based on the color of their skin. If more women are dying in maternity and dying in delivery who are black, then you're saying, and you say that's racism, then you're basically saying that in one way or another, they're trying to kill black women. Now, that was kind of shocking to them, and they went, you know, like, why, why would you say a thing like that? As if my mind was not sophisticated enough to grasp the subtleties of how racism works and how you can kill people without showing any evidence of racism. I mean, it's just, just insane. Well, I did some research because, of course, I was puzzled by this and thinking, well, what is going on? Because my default position is not, oh, it's racism. My default position is, okay, let's look at this a little deeper. Let's try to figure out what is going on. There is a statistical disparity. What is the cause? So I did some research. And you know what I found? The single biggest factor in determining the health of the mother during pregnancy and the, the um, delivery without medical complications that lead to the injury or death of the mother or to the death of the child, the single biggest factor is the presence or absence of the father. Women have healthier pregnancies when they are together with the father of their babies and the father is there to support and encourage and nurture that woman. And when the father is there during the delivery to be there to support and encourage that woman, that the number of pregnancy complications and maternity complications drop significantly. Which community in America has the highest incidence of father abandonment, pregnancy out of wedlock, women having children without the man anywhere to be found? See, that analysis says, okay, there's something we can do about that because if we can teach men the importance of their presence to the health of that woman and the health of that baby and can encourage men to be there and walk with that woman through the pregnancy, you're going to have a much, much healthier outcome. But oh, no, 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 no. Let's not talk about that. Let's find somebody else to blame. It's the doctors and the nurses. They are hostile to black people. They don't like black people. And they're making some kind of subtle moves to kill black women. That's racial obsession syndrome. Because the research I just gave you, I got several articles, I saved them, and I began to look them up to, to, to remind myself of these things. And the research that I looked at made it quite clear over a, a, a number of studies that this is a problem for all people. So, guess what? Hispanic mothers have a much healthier outcome in their pregnancies, statistically speaking, because Hispanic families are more intact than black families are. In other words, the more intact the families of the demographic group, 
the healthier their maternal, their maternity outcomes. It has nothing to do with race. It has to do with the natural supports that God intended to build the family, to create, to, 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 to support the family and to support the child that is coming into a family. And when you break down that framework and that apparatus, guess what? There are negative consequences for the mother and for the child. If there's racism anywhere to be found in that, it's in these, <coughs> these leftists who basically incentivize men to leave the home, incentivize women to have children and get welfare support for it starting back in 1965 under the Great Society programs. And now here we are, what, 50 years later with, with, with the, the, the black family in absolute shambles. 66% of black children are raised in single parent female headed households. 75 to 80% of black children are born out of wedlock, no father around. I've got people that I know today and I meet people all the time, never even knew their fathers, never met the man. So he certainly wasn't there for the pregnancy. Now, my point in all this is, and, and so what's, what, what is the breakdown of the family caused by? Caused by sin. The willingness of men to abandon their children. The promiscuity that creates pregnancy after pregnancy after pregnancy by men who are in no position to take care of the first child, let alone the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, who knows how many. Now, let me just say this, because it needs to be said. You know, 60% of black folks, by the way, in, in America, live middle-class lives. You don't hear that very often because of the 40% who are living at or below the poverty line living in the inner city, living in the projects, living in poor housing situations, living in violent circumstances uh, where, you know, gangs are, are in control and all that. That's still, that's, that's, that's 40% of the black community. And often the black community is defined by that 40%, not by the 60% who live middle-class lives. But let me just say this. There will not be any progress, not based on government action, not based on affirmative action, not based on all of this crazy money printing frenzy that the Biden administration is going through, uh, not based on any of these highfalutin programs that they come up with and, and all this stuff. You're not going to see any substantial progress in the black community until there is a detention again to coming back to family, you, you, you get a girl pregnant. Is that the woman you want to marry? Well, then what are you having sex with her for? What are you sleeping with her for? So you can walk away from that baby it has nothing to do with racism. It has to do with your own triflingness and profligacy and, 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 and lack of character and decency. Get yourself together and stop making excuses and pointing fingers at other people. It's you. And you mothers and fathers out there and, and, and all these black folks out there need to start telling these young men you are a ne'er-do-well and a bum.
if you're getting girls pregnant and then walking away and doing nothing to take care of that child. You don't have any intention of marrying the woman. You just, she's just a little fun for you. And then basically you walk away like, like nothing ever happened. It's wicked. It's sick. It's disgusting. It has nothing to do with race. It has to do with your own lack of character. And that's what we need to start telling these young men. You want to be a man, take care of the children that you father. You want to be a man and talk about black people, black people are oppressed, then stop killing black people. Stop acting like an animal if you don't want to be treated like one. But oh no, we want a man be, oh no, it's racism. Oh, the white man, they won't let us. Oh, please. Now get over yourself. And stand before God one day, and I'll tell you what, all the claims of racism in the world aren't going to help you. Because you're going to give an account for the deeds done in the body. Now, I know I'm talking to most of you, this is not applying, but you, this is the message that needs to be gotten to these folks. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I, I have not become a successful individual. Um, and, and you all, I, I define success really as fulfilling God's plan and purpose for your life. Not as, you know, being a billionaire or a millionaire or, or having this, having that. It, but, but I've become a successful individual in large measure because I had a father who got me out of foster care because he told me he could not raise me as a young child because he had to work and he was afraid that, you know, bringing babysitters in and out and all that. So he, he allowed me to be placed with a, with a, a, a decent, loving family that were illiterate and, and uh, they weren't educated, but they were nice people. Um, and he placed me with them. But when it got to the point where they couldn't handle me, he stepped in. And let me tell you something, folks. I lived with my father from the age of 10 until the time I joined the Marine Corps. I remember I got on that train to go and take the oath of office. Um, and, uh, and my father stood on that train and wept like a baby because he knew that my childhood was over that I was stepping full, long into manhood now, and that I was never really coming home. I didn't quite understand that, but I was never really coming home again to be with him, to live with him, and I didn't. That was it. I never came back to Chester, Pennsylvania, where I was raised. But I tell you what, I can say this. For the entire time I lived with my daddy, he never brought a woman into our home. It was an apartment, but he never brought a woman home. I never came in and found him with a woman. I never woke up and found a woman in our home. And my father was a normal heterosexual man. But he told me later, he said, son, because I didn't ever want you to feel insecure about some stranger coming into the home or somebody being in the house that you didn't know and wondering what that, the implications of that were, of that, of that might be for you. And so my father did not bring women home. He, he said, my job was to raise you and make sure that you were secure you were first, and that you knew that. Yeah. And now you got women raising children, and the, the, the house is a revolving door of men coming through the house, and women seeing all these, the children seeing all these different men coming through the house. I mean, yeah, I know this is getting raw, but it needs to be said. 
blaming race. But everything is racial. Every ROS, racial obsession syndrome, while your children suffer and your politicians won't open the doors for you to get a decent education and you keep voting for them anyway because they give you some more welfare payments or whatever. Now I know for those who may say, and I see Bishop, you're so hard on the black community. I have been pastoring and working in and with Americans of African ancestry all my life. And you know what I see? I see potential that is wasted because people are given an excuse for doing nothing with their lives because racism is in the way. I see gifts and talents and abilities that don't fulfill their potential. I see beautiful, bright, intelligent young people with all kinds of capabilities who could accomplish all kinds of wonderful things in life, make a contribution to their families, their communities, our country, and they're short-circuited by this sick Marxist ideology that says, oh, no, 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 they can't because the society won't let them and America's systemically racist. So go on out and break into a store and rob it and loot it and shoplift because after all, you deserve it. And these so-called leaders, these so-called, these, these sycophantic leftist boot-licking black politicians who the Democrat Party says jump, and they say, how high, master, how high? You want to abort our babies? Go right ahead. We support you. Just freeze my palm a little bit if you don't mind. You don't want us to have a better education by having school choice? That's okay, teachers' union. We understand. We have black people. Don't, their children don't need an education. Keep them on welfare as we round them up and vote for us when the time comes. Just grease my palm, teachers' union. Just pay me. Pay me. And then they got the nerve to point a finger at somebody like me and call me a sellout. <laughs> yeah. I'll have that debate with you any day of the week and twice on Sunday. See, because I look at black folks as my fellow human beings who God loves, wants the best for, and I see a bunch of godless left-wing politicians who are convincing them that they are in a state of perpetual handicap, perpetual poverty, perpetual powerlessness, and there's nothing they can do about it except buy into some Marxist ideology that would turn them into slaves. Because that's exactly what socialism will do. That's exactly what Marxism will do. It'll turn the whole nation into a nation of slaves. They're always talking about slavery 150 years ago, and they're trying to impose a new system of socialism on people, which is nothing but a modern form of slavery. That's all it is except it turns the whole society into slaves. Well, I haven't, I'm, I'm not going to get to the book of Philippians today. I'm coming back to it, but this is what I woke up thinking about. Let's stop trying to cut out the tumor and leaving scars and, 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 and ugly vestiges of, of failed attempts to deal with the real problem and let's come back 
to the Judeo-Christian principles and values which made America great. The problem of America is not race. The problem of America is sin. And what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We need to stop in these pulpits around the country and some of these black preachers preaching against white people and preaching race as opposed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Therein is the key to freedom. Because once your heart and your mind are set free and you know that God is for you, who can be against you, you don't have to obsess over anybody, what they think, what they're doing, what that, please. You get busy trying to fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life. And that's, that's, that's what should unite every American. Let's, let's come together as Americans without regard to the complexion of our skin, without regard to our national origin, origin let's, uh, our ancestral origin. Let's come together as Americans to create a more perfect union. Let's come to, uh, together as Americans to fulfill the vision of one nation under God. Because only then are we going to have liberty and justice for all. And only then are we going to be indivisible. The left is trying to make us as divided as they can. But our vision is of an indivisible nation under God. Perpetuating, promoting, protecting, preserving liberty and justice for all. Not social justice. That's a euphemism for socialism. But justice, real justice. And real justice has got to be based on the righteousness of God. His instructions as to what is right and what is wrong. And what is wrong in God's sight is for us to be viewing people on the basis of the color of their skin and evaluating everything on that basis. And what is right in the sight of God is for us to see, not as most people see, but to look upon the heart, or as Dr. King said, to not consider one another or judge one another by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. I'm gonna have to stop there. God bless each and every one of you. I hope this has been helpful to you. I had this on my heart and I wanted to share it. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll come back to the book of Philippians tomorrow. Actually, I, I, you know what? I'm going to be in Colorado Springs uh, and uh, been speaking in North Carolina on Saturday at Mount Airy at Temple Baptist Church. I believe it is Temple Baptist Church uh, on uh, this coming Saturday. But here again, you can find that stuff on our website, standamerica.us and bishopewjackson.tv or download our app, EW Jackson. Go to your app store, either Apple or Google and, uh, and download the app and all that information should be there. Until then, God bless each and every one of you. Remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.